Hello, and welcome to Life's Little Mysteries with Live Science. I'm Gina Briner, Editor-in-Chief at Live Science. And I'm Mindy Weisberger, a Senior Writer at Live Science. Today, we're bringing you a special episode of Life's Little Mysteries. Usually, we keep things pretty light, but this time, we're going to focus on a serious topic that everybody is talking about, and that's the SARS coronavirus 2, the virus that causes the disease COVID-19. At Life Science, our reporters and our editors are tracking the latest coronavirus developments around the world, from global case numbers and quarantines to vaccine development to best practices for safety, prevention, and treatment. Here with the latest coronavirus news is Life Science health reporter Nicoletta Lanise. She's at the forefront of our coronavirus coverage. This episode was recorded on February 27th and features Nicoletta's weekly coronavirus update and Q&A on Facebook Live. The link to the video is in the show notes. Hi, my name is Nicoletta Lanise, and we are here at Live Science to bring you your weekly update about the novel coronavirus, SARS coronavirus 2, the name of the virus, COVID-19, the name of the disease it causes. Um, so I'm just going to give you a quick update on our total case count first. So globally, we're seeing that there are now 82,548 confirmed cases around the world. The majority of these still remain within mainland China with over 74,500 cases being there. And again, these are confirmed cases, meaning the people have been formally diagnosed. In total, there have been 2,810 deaths associated with the virus, over 2,700 of these within China. So still a relatively limited number beyond China's borders, but we're seeing that number grow now. Um, within the U.S., we're seeing that there are now 60 confirmed cases. Uh, 15 of these cases are related to people having traveled or having close contact with people who traveled um, to affected regions. And then 45 of these cases were Americans that have been repatriated back to the U.S. after returning from Wuhan or from the Diamond Princess cruise ship, which has now been evacuated. Um, so again, the U.S. case count is up to 60 now. And per President Trump's report yesterday, he made an update about the coronavirus situation. Eight people have recovered in the U.S. so far after having a confirmed case of the virus. So that's kind of, by the numbers, what we're looking at as a global situation right now. This week, we had a number of very different developments than we've had in prior weeks. So for the first time since the outbreak began, more cases of COVID-19 were reported outside of China than from within China itself. So on Wednesday, there were more ca new cases reported beyond China than within China. So that kind of signals a market shift in how this outbreak is developing worldwide. Um, and the CDC this week essentially announced that we should be expecting there to be person-to-person -person transmission within the U.S., so community spread not related to people who have traveled recently or to those who are making close contact with travelers. So the virus is now extending its sphere of influence. So we're gonna start seeing it spread within communities. So the CDC health officials across the government have been urging both individuals and local entities to prepare. So here at Live Science, we've tried to 
drum up some resources and talk to experts about how you as an individual can prepare for a potential viral epidemic. So I'm just going to go through a couple of those tips to start off, and then I'm going to open up the floor to your questions. Again, assuming that there have been reports in your area that there is sustained community spread, meaning that there's evidence of the virus, number one, it's present in your region at all, um, but number two seems to be spreading through the community in some way. You'll be getting updates from local and state level officials about what's going on. But for you personally, as an individual, you can always reduce your chances of transmission by practicing normal good hygiene and health habits. So wash your hands often and thoroughly with soap and water for at least 20 seconds and use alcohol-based hand sanitizers. Um, so they have to have at least 60% to 95% alcohol content. And this helps to make your hands inhospitable to viruses is the idea there. If you are sneezing or coughing for any reason, make sure to do it into your elbow sleeve or into a tissue and then throw that tissue away and wash your hands. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, or mouth. It's good to clean frequently touched surfaces and objects like doorknobs, countertops. There are certain types of disinfectants that are recommended for this use that are known to effectively clear away other types of coronaviruses. So disinfectants with high percentages of ethanol, 0.5% hydrogen peroxide, or 0.1% sodium hypochlorite, which is bleach, can effectively disinfect surfaces. And all this can be found in writing on our website, livescience.com. If you haven't yet gotten your flu shot, while the flu shot doesn't protect you against the coronavirus itself, if you develop both the flu and the coronavirus-related disease simultaneously, there is a chance that you'd be more likely to have a severe reaction and potentially develop pneumonia, which is a more extreme version of this disease. So avoiding both simultaneously is important, but also by avoiding getting the flu in the first place, you may avoid a trip to the doctor's office in the middle of a viral epidemic, which means you're not sapping resources from those who might have the disease, and you also don't have to subject yourself to that environment where infection might be present. So staying healthy and avoiding people who might be exposed is a key point here. Generally speaking, be prepared to stay home if an epidemic does hit your area. Talk to your employer about work from home policies and sick leave. Make plans if you have children or dependents. So talk to your child's school or local school board about what you can expect in terms of school closures, um, how much notice you'd get, and make plans for how you would handle childcare if you're still going to work but school is canceled, etc. Large group gatherings like concerts, public events might be canceled, so just be prepared for that. If you or a loved one consistently take prescription drugs, you might want to talk to your doctor and insurance provider about potentially um, stocking up an emergency supply. I know that's, for some people, a very slim chance that that will be possible, but it's always good to ask. And then if you have more vulnerable people in your care, so elderly people or those with pre-existing conditions that could make them more vulnerable to COVID-19, make sure you have a plan in place for how to care for those people in the event of an epidemic and who might take care of them if you yourself were sick. Always check in with your neighbors. That's a good 
just for morale, but also to see how they're doing and whether if they're stuck at home, maybe you can deliver their groceries, if you're still well, et cetera, things like that. And a key point is always if you could potentially have been exposed to the virus and you're experiencing high fever, weakness, um, loss of energy, shortness of breath, you should seek medical attention at the closest healthcare facility. Um, so that's still the best route of action you can take. If you are feeling that sick, that you need medical attention, you should go to the nearest hospital. Uh, it may be wise to call ahead if an epidemic is underway because they may have people who might have the virus enter through a separate door or only be seen in certain facilities. So calling ahead and making sure you're entering through the right door and that you'll actually be seen is really important. And just to reiterate, wearing a standard surgical mask um, so the thin floppy ones that you see many people wearing is really more effective at keeping other people from catching the virus. Um, if you yourself have it, they're not designed to keep you from catching viral particles because they're not flush to the face. They don't block out small enough particles to be effective in that way. So there's no recommendation for those who are healthy to be wearing surgical masks at this time. You shouldn't anticipate that being a recommendation in the future. But if you were to fall ill or you have some other respiratory disease, whether it be the common cold or influenza, that's when you should put on a mask to keep others from getting sick is the idea and to um, drive down the number of cases that we see over time. That kind of hits the high points of tips for how you can get ready for this. So I'm going to start taking a few questions from you guys. I have the question, is there likely to be a vaccine? Um, so we've gotten an update from the CDC on the vaccine development, and it sounds like between a year and a year and a half from now, they would expect to have a vaccine, I think, ready for mass deployment. But there's several stages that vaccines have to pass through before they are ready to be dispersed to a wide population. So they have to be tested in a small population first on just a safety basis to make sure people don't have really serious adverse reactions and that it is at least doing what they think it's meant to do. And then that will be tested in a larger population of people to make sure it's as effective as it can be. And it goes through verification steps there. And again, it just reiterative safety efficacy tests that take generally a really long time. So a year to a year and a half is fast tracking by a long shot. So I think as they develop the vaccine with each successive trial, they'll be checking in on the state of the outbreak worldwide to determine who should be getting the experimental versions of the vaccine and whether it needs to be fast-tracked, continues to be fast-tracked. So if this outbreak were to fall off, say, in the next few months or something, they might not need to rush it quite as much. But again, that remains to be seen. Do you know why it is now being reported that an outbreak in the U.S. is likely? What has changed? So what's interesting in this is that it's been an issue within the health community of balancing what we know and can tell you right now and um, giving you the best advice right now. So early on in the outbreak, clearly there weren't a ton of cases in the U.S. Um, we weren't seeing any spread within communities. So there was a chance that we could still quote unquote contain the spread of the virus. 
I think what's key in the messaging here is that when we talk about containment, we don't mean that it's a guarantee that measures like quarantines and travel restrictions, they're intended to slow the spread of a virus and in the absolute ideal best case scenario to stop the spread of a virus, if possible, um, before it spreads through a population. But in reality, they're usually more about slowing down the spread to the point that we can prepare as a healthcare system, as a people um, who have to have jobs and have to get to work and have kids who have to get to school, can have a plan in place for when the spread inevitably comes. So not that this was foreseeable, but this was always a possibility that we would see sustained spread in the U.S. at some point. And now it seems that's more imminent. So that's why the messaging is now a bit more urgent. And it's, again, the take home message being make plans just in case this does kind of spiral into a larger epidemic. What do we know about the incubation period? Information varies from 14 to over 27 days. How long does a recovered person contain antibodies to the virus and can they catch it again? So the incubation period, unfortunately, there's the estimates are still very wide. So the margin of error is pretty enormous at the moment. So the numbers you're presenting here, anywhere between really two to 27 days have been thrown out. So it's still kind of unclear as to how long people can carry a viable version of the virus. And there have been scattered reports of people potentially catching the virus more than once, but those are pretty anecdotal at this point. So we're really not sure how long immunity to this virus lasts. And that's a point of study that hopefully we learn more about within the next week or so. And following up on that, uh, we're getting another question that there was a news report that says 14 of those infected can be reinfected. Again, that was, I believe that was only the one news report. And if I'm correct, I think they're focusing on one population of people that were treated at one healthcare facility. But I, I can fact check that. But again, at this point, that evidence is fairly anecdotal and they're not sure whether what's really happening is that people appear to recover or we think they're on the road to recovery and then they haven't actually recovered and their symptoms just get worse again. So it's unclear what's happening there in the course of the disease. Does hot climate have any effect on COVID-19? So that's a huge question and it's a good one. We still don't know as we move into warmer months, at least in some parts of the world, whether we'll see a drop off in the virus because it doesn't it can't spread as effectively in warm weather. That's true of other coronaviruses. We've seen that. So it is a distinct possibility. It's not outside of the realm of possibility, but we simply don't know yet whether a significant increase in temperature will slow and maybe even stop the spread of this virus. What's the difference between this virus and the regular old annual flu that kills thousands globally every year? So there's been a lot of comparison between this new virus and influenza, seasonal influenza that we see every year. I think because it is both cold and flu season, that being part of it, and also people are just familiar with the flu and the symptoms, some of the symptoms overlap between the two diseases. So in some cases, they can look very similar at first. The difference being this virus so far appears to have a higher fatality rate than the flu we're used to. Those estimates are still adjusting as we see how 
people in different regions react to the virus. But within Hubei itself, uh, the fatality rate has been estimated between about 2 and 3%, which is fairly high and higher than the flu. And clearly, we have accurate diagnostics for the flu. We have available routes of treatment to at least help to prevent the flu. And then the vaccine that comes out every year. We don't have any of these measures in place to protect people against this new virus. So that's why you see a lot more concern and alarm. This is simply a new virus. There's a lot of unknowns still, and we're working to solve all the, answer all those questions. But I think that's why you shouldn't discount this virus is my main takeaway here. There's been a lot of misconception that it's just like the flu and you should worry about the flu more. In the situation that you're in a region that's never touched by this new virus, yes, you should worry about the flu more because you're more likely to catch the flu if there's no cases of COVID-19 in your area. However, if there are cases of COVID-19, it's a highly transmissible disease and there's no available treatment. So it's something you should take seriously, especially if you or your loved ones have prior health conditions that make them more vulnerable to serious complications. So that's the take-home message, is to take it seriously, but there's ways you can prepare and don't panic. Is there a medicine for this yet? So there is one antiviral treatment that is um, has just entered clinical trials in the U.S., so they're beginning to treat select individuals who have confirmed cases of the virus with the, an antiviral that was originally designed for Ebola. So there's been, in preliminary studies, there's been some efficacy that this antiviral shows against the new virus as well as Ebola. Um, so people are working on medications. Other antivirals, experimental antivirals, are also being tested around the world. So potentially we could know more about whether those treatments are working within the next week or so, we've been told by the CDC, or we should know imminently anyway. So that's been a positive development in the last few days. What are the symptoms? So symptoms vary between people. So this isn't hard and fast for every single case to look like this, but people often present with fever, not always, especially early in the disease. Difficulty breathing, especially. Some people get diarrhea or nausea, but that's not across the board. But yes, those are the major symptoms. So you'll notice that they're very much like other respiratory diseases, which is why it's hard to catch this just at face value by looking at it. It does look like a lot of other diseases. And in more severe cases, it can progress into a full-fledged pneumonia, which is where you see people having serious complications. Will you know if you have the coronavirus? Again, this resembles a lot of other respiratory illnesses. So if you, especially if you have a mild case, you might just think you have the common cold, to be honest, or some sort of weird bug. So in those cases, if you're in an affected area, it may be wise to self-quarantine in those, voluntarily self-quarantine if you're feeling ill and you have symptoms that overlap with the coronavirus and there's a chance you could have been exposed. And if you continue to feel ill, you can get in touch with your state and local health departments, healthcare providers. And in some states, I know they're enabling at-home testing if you're unable to go in yourself or you can report to a hospital directly. Um, and again, try to wear a mask if you're going to go. And if you don't wear a mask, ensure that you cover up coughs and sneezes if there's a chance you could be infected because you'll transmit the disease to fewer people in that way. 
But again, to reiterate, you won't inherently know that you have this virus. But if clues point you that direction, I'd encourage you to seek medical attention if you have extreme symptoms or if your symptoms begin to worsen dramatically. I'm getting what is the cause of the difficulty in breathing? So this coronavirus especially impacts lung tissue. So I believe it's just that with the change in, basically it's launching attack about against your the tissue in your lung. So your body can't as efficiently get oxygen where it needs it. So I think that's part of it. I don't believe people develop, for instance, like a runny nose and other, I don't know if there's phlegm buildup associated with this coronavirus. I haven't heard reports of that. Um, but it could be in some cases. I also got a question about how those in the U.S. are receiving treatment, seeing as there isn't an official one as of yet. Some of them, again, are being entered into this new clinical trial of an antiviral that was originally designed to treat Ebola. So some people are going to start receiving that soon. The rest of them that have been tested positive for coronavirus and are being treated now are mostly receiving symptomatic treatment. Um, So for instance, anti-fever, anti-nausea medications to um, combat the symptoms they're feeling. And then obviously they're being kept hydrated, you know, all your typical standard care for anyone with a respiratory illness, and then generally still being kept isolated from others to avoid transmission. So mostly it's um, kind of a watch and wait and, you know, do your standard at-home remedy style treatments like you would for any respiratory illness. Are you at lesser risk if you've had the flu shot? Um, So I mentioned this a little earlier, but to reiterate, do in your mind consider the flu and this is very different diseases? Obviously it affects different populations of people differently. They're transmitted similarly, but the if you do have the flu vaccine, it's not going to protect you directly against this new coronavirus. But those with pre-existing health conditions, which could include the flu, may be at higher risk of serious cases of this virus, um, especially because the flu is targeting a lot of the same systems that this new coronavirus affects. It may be that you'd be more likely to develop pneumonia if you have the flu and then you catch this. So it's more about keeping the burden off your immune system. So as healthy as you can keep in general, will probably reduce your chances of having a serious case of COVID-19. So the flu shot should be helpful in that way, if that makes sense. This is an excellent question, and I wish I had an answer. When will the U.S., CDC specifically, have testing kits available and sent out to the wider healthcare system? So the CDC, there's been some back and forth here um, where the CDC prepared diagnostic kits, sent them out to various medical facilities, and then had to, in essence, recall those kits because when they were being, they were going through standard um, verification procedures, which basically is just testing whether the kits are accurate before you give them to people. And it was found that we were getting back some false results or inaccurate results. So the CDC recalled those kits and is now again in that verification stage where they're making sure that every time you do the test, you can trust the result you get from it. And they're still in the midst of that process. So we don't know when a diagnostic test will be available widely. 
that is probably one of the top priorities for what we need right now, especially given that throughout the U.S. at all levels of government, at all levels of healthcare, we're now having to prepare for a potential community spread. So hopefully soon is my answer to that question. Uh, we're going to wrap up with a final question. Thank you for everything you've sent in today, guys. And before I get to that final question, let me just reiterate that we'll be continuing to cover developments with COVID-19, especially with a highlight on the U.S., because we're also based here, in the coming days and weeks. So just in the last few days, we've covered the faux pas with the testing kits. We've covered um, what you can do personally to prepare. A uh, story will be coming out later about how bad this pandemic could be theoretically, what experts have to say about that, what to expect from your community leaders and health care, local health care, stuff like that, all sorts of things. There's a lot of news, but log into LiveScience.com to follow along with that. And you can ask us more questions on our forums, forums.LiveScience.com, or else on any of our social media. So I'll end on this question. Has the virus continued to spread in China at the same rate or is it accelerating? So actually it would appear that spread within China and the case counts in general, so rate of new confirmed tests being reported, appears to be leveling off or even decelerating at this precise moment. I don't know if that trend will continue in the weeks to come. We could see a resurgence. That's always a possibility, especially if the quarantine on Hubei province is lifted. There's always like a chance there could be a resurgence seen in other areas of China following that. But generally speaking, we're seeing the case count in China level off or decrease, especially compared to the rate it was before. And again, most of the cases in general have been contained within Hubei and Wuhan specifically, the city where the outbreak began. And with that, I think that's all we have time for today. But again, tune in next week. We'll be doing this set on Thursdays at noon um, for the foreseeable future. And you can pose any new questions uh, either on our forums or on our social media. Thanks for joining us for this special coronavirus report from Life's Little Mysteries with Live Science. You can find all the Live Science coverage of the coronavirus and COVID-19 on our website at livescience.com slash topics slash coronavirus. We'll be refreshing our FAQ and coronavirus updates daily as information becomes available. The link is in the show notes. If you have questions about coronavirus or COVID-19, you can post them on our Live Science forums and on Facebook. Nicoletta will host our next coronavirus Q&A on Facebook Live on March 2nd at 12 p.m. Eastern Time. Thanks for joining us and stay healthy. Life's Little Mysteries is produced in conjunction with Audio Boom as part of their Audio Boom Originals Network. My name is Sharzad Kiade. I'm a Gemini pescatarian, a mom of two wild little boys. I'm Susan Yara. I'm a mom of two also. This morning, I went to the bathroom alone. I woke up at five, put my boob in her mouth, and then she took a dump. Because that's what she uses me for. <laughs> that's what you're going to hear a lot of our stories and experiences in our crazy journeys to motherhood. It's fam for all moms, not for all dads, not fathers and moms, for all moms. It's going to be good all time. You guys are going to want to stick around. Promise. So subscribe.